Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you. 1380 KLIZ The Fan. Find us on Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons. Leave us a message there if you like. And also on Podcast One, Lakes, Woods, and Irons there. Uh, this segment sponsored in part by Mills Ford, your hometown dealer since 1922. Chris, uh, how are you this week, my friend? I'm doing well, Mac. Yeah. Just... Another, uh, another great week of golf. <laughs> Well, we j- talked about me getting out there for a short game, a, a short game lesson, and uh, we haven't done it yet. And uh, it uh, showed up on my scorecard here this last week. So. <laughs> it's usually the case, Mac. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was one of those one of those odd days for sure. Uh, nine bad, nine good, and uh, two separate nines. So. At least the second the nine, was, two nine was better than the first. Yeah, right. Well, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. That's right. <laughs> Some winners this last week. Uh, Kisner's kind of a popular player. Right? He's uh, we've got a young guy in the office, and uh, he kind of follows uh, the Twitter world and those kind of things pretty close. And Kisner, you know, he's he's kind of every man out there. He's he was on a podcast on Monday morning after he won. And they said, you know, how you feeling after your whatever it is, maybe fourth tour win? And he says, well, I'll tell you the truth, I'm pretty hungover this morning. <laughs> so, so that's how he started. Yeah. He said there was ten guys at his place uh, ready to go when he got uh, home after the win. So <laughs> he 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 is he's quite a character, and uh, uh, he's just a good old southern boy, you know, just lives outside of Augusta. And, Plays uh, and lives right at a place called the Palmetto Golf Club, which is a fantastic golf course, one of the one of the best in the southeast. And uh, he, he just likes to have a good time and uh, quite a, quite a win in that six man playoff. Yeah, and Adam Scott uh, had a million dollar four foot putt and uh, uh, didn't come close. You know, I I was. You know, as, as much as Adam Scott struggles with the putter, I was very surprised he missed that. And it, you know, you can, there are definitely times when you can tell when Adam Scott yips it. And there was no look of yip in that stroke. No, there and wasn't. I think, he, I, I think he just, just misread it, you know, and he, he backed, I, I, he, I just, I saw the replay. He backed off the putt after reading it. Uh, and reread it again, so there was definitely some doubt in his mind. But uh, uh, you know, as, as poor a putter as he's traditionally been, he, he's he's like thirtieth in strokes in putting this year. So that's been a strength for him for the year. Yeah, it was a surprise for sure, especially when well, his shot was so much better than everybody else in the group. Six man playoff and sticks it in there four feet. Looks like he's got it in the bag, but didn't happen. <laughs> And on the senior tour, I don't uh, know a lot about uh, Doug Barron, but I, what I saw was after the fact in uh, his uh, his uh, post game interview after he wins, he had to he had to uh, par the eight, the seventh the uh, last hole, and he's on in two par five, so he lags the eagle up and he's kind of watching it go, and he starts to celebrate because he knows it's going to be real close, you know, and. Uh, so he's just got like I don't know six inches to tap it in for the birdie and and the two shot win. So, but man, he was celebratory. 
Maybe had some expletive deleted in some of his uh, post-game talks. That's his second, <laughs> second win ever, so he was he was really happy. You just kind of think uh, it's almost like every man kind of winning a tournament for every man, you know, we're kind of a, a grinder out there on the PGA Tour and then the Senior Tour and and uh, gets his second win, which is uh, obviously huge for any golfer. So, Well, yeah, and especially a guy like him who – he he's been playing you know professional golf for 30 plus years and and you know has been a just kind of a, a journeyman never never been a top player but he just keeps hanging on and and uh has made a you know i'm sure a decent living but to finally get uh finally get his, his second win it's, it's quite a story whether it's on the, the regular tour or the champions tour yeah the interview after they said do you know you how do you feel about finishing so strong? And he just had almost surprised uh, tone in his voice. You know, he goes two days in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great stuff. And the women, Chris, are taking on one of your uh, uh, a nemesis of yours. Carnoustie is going to really present a challenge for the uh, women's uh, tour as far as a major goes. Yeah, tr- you know, Carnoustie has quite a tradition of of championship golf and is one of the anchor sites for the the open championship and uh it is a hard hard golf course probably as hard a golf course as i've ever played really and uh uh, i think i've played there five or six times but uh it is a test and especially when the when the weather is not good which uh in that part of, of scotland you can get some some pretty fiery weather so um it it will be a great test for the ladies couple of guests coming up. We've got uh, David Angelotti, Chris, that uh, you're going to have a conversation with. And we're going to talk with uh, Chuck, uh, Chuck Letkatsky out at the gravel pit and get an update from Chuck, which uh, I think everybody's getting pretty excited about that site uh, here in town. Yeah, I can't wait to get back out there and see it, the progress they've made. So. so we'll be back with those interviews right after this. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan on Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons and also Podcast One at Lakes, Woods, and Irons, brought to you in part by Maury's. Uh, stop in to eat more fish at Maury's at their mobile galley in Brainerd. Great lobster rolls and fish tacos, Maury's in Motley and Brainerd. Chris, special guest, I'll let you handle the introductions, a guy we're all pretty familiar with. Yeah, I want, want to welcome back to the show Chuck Klasky. Chuck is the... Uh Director of golf, project manager, chief irrigation specialist, <laughs> uh, cedar, uh, you name it, at uh, at the gravel pit. Welcome back, Chuck. Thanks, gentlemen. It's uh, great to talk to you again, and uh, nice to take a half hour off and uh, and go inside for a little bit. <laughs> We've been uh, having a hot summer out at the gravel pit, growing some grass. I bet you have, Chuck. For for those who aren't familiar, give give us a little background on what the gravel pit is and what you've got going there. So we've got a new golf experience in Brainerd. We've got a 13-hole uh, golf experience. We've got a 13-hole par 3 golf course. We have a 13-hole natural grass putting green. We've got a couple of basketball courts. And uh, so it's uh, it's actually adjacent to the Legacy Courses uh, property, but it's a new development that we're going to be uh, opening in the spring of 2022. You were talking about yeah. the visual aspects of it, Chuck, when we saw each other the other night, and uh, uh, pretty spectacular. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, elevation changes. It's, uh, the golf course is built out of a, an, 
abandoned gravel pit. Well, not abandoned, but a repurposed gravel pit, I guess I'll say. And uh, we've got elevated tee boxes and a couple of different water features uh, for the holes to play around the wetland. And so it's uh, quite a cool little little site uh, for being about 40-acre property. You know, Chuck, I think uh, this this number won't be exactly right, but it's somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 68 of the top 100 golf courses in the world are bu- built on sand. And um, you, that, that golf course is all on sand that you're building. Yeah, it's been a really interesting construction project. Uh, Scott Hoffman, our designer, and Nate Toomey, the owner of the property, um, found this site, and, you know, it was all sand, so we haven't had to import any any dirt from anywhere else. We were able to build the greens and the fairways and the tee boxes out of the existing soil. So it's, uh, it's we've got fescue fairways, Chris, and, you know, so that style of play, um, you know, will allow for more of a links-style experience than a lot of the, the golf courses that are in the Brainerd area. So it's going to be a little bit different experience, and I, I think people will enjoy the playing conditions. How, how, how did you come up with 13 holes, and what, what was the, you know, I get people asking me, you know, it's only a 13-hole golf course, and traditionally you've got a 9-hole course or an 18-hole course. How, what, how did 13 come into play? Well, that's an interesting question. A lot of people have asked us that, and my partner, Mark, he owns Whispering Pines down in Annandale, but his answer is always... Um, you know, why 13? Why not? But in all, in all reality, the, uh, the site just kind of spoke to that. There's a number of courses, um, you know, with some odd numbering um, around the country now. And, and I was actually just out at Bandon Dunes um, last week with, uh, with a group of, of members and such. And they've got a 13-hole uh, golf course called the Bandon Preserve. And that's just kind of what the, what the site spoke to, to Scott, the designer, and, and we decided to just, you know, not force 9 or 18, and it's just kind of how what what came out, so we that's what we built. Well, that's great. You know, if you, if you look back in history, 18 holes really didn't become the standard until the, the, the mid-1800s, and, um, you know, when, when you go to Scotland, you'll, you'll still find some golf courses uh, that are, you know, there's a 12-hole golf course on the Isle of Islay, for instance, it's a, it's a great golf course. And, uh, you know, it was, it was originally designed by nature, but Tom Morris spent a lot of time there redesigning it. And, uh, you, you find a lot of examples of non 18 hole golf courses. And Presswick, for instance, which was the first site of the, the Open Championship, uh, was originally 12 holes. Uh, and the, the old course was originally 12 holes and expanded to 18 holes. So, um, it's it's not a uh, new concept by any means, but I think it's a great concept because uh, we all are looking for you know, alternate forms of play and shorter golf experiences, and um, it's fun to see somebody step outside the box a bit. Yeah, and that's what I'm excited about too, Chris. Is you know the whole playing experience we expect to be, you know, maybe two hours and twenty minutes or something like that, and you know, it just won't take as much, you know, quite as much time and. Um, We've heard a number of people say, boy, you know, I get to 13 or 14, I want to quit anyway. So we hope, uh, hopefully we can help accommodate uh, that. But it is interesting, like, as you say about golf history and that, you know, what's old is, is, is new and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of new in America to, to build these, these courses at, at less than 18 holes. But, you know, in the course of history, it's really not that odd. Chuck, tell us, tell us about the, uh, the building process and growing process. When do you, when do you open and where are you kind of at right now? Well, it's fun. We've got the entire property seated, and 
in, in the evolution of golf, you know, you put the irrigation in first and then seed everything, but we're up to the point where we're mowing all 13 greens and the 13 uh, hole putting experience, you know, with a riding mower. So it's, that's like a big step in life. So I, I don't get quite as many uh, lock mowing steps as I was getting all summer, but uh, it's fun to uh, have it progress. So, um, you know, there's an outside chance that we'll have some preview play late in September, um, have you guys out and, you know, get a little, uh, get a little preview of, of what's, what's to come. And then, but basically, um, I'm kind of shooting for May 13th. It's, uh, May 13th of 2022 is a, is a Friday, so maybe Friday the 13th of, of uh, 2022 will be our, our grand opening. But we hope to have play kind of right away in the spring. Long-term That's vision, great. Chuck, uh, with some of the other options that you're going to have out there, you're going to do, uh, uh, not to say only golf, but you're going to do some other things as well. Yeah, we've got uh, you know some experiences that we hope uh, will bring golfers and non-golfers out there. We've got a couple of bocce ball courts going in, and uh, the 13-hole putting um, experience should be should be kind of cool. We've got a natural grass uh, putting course that's over a over a half acre, and um, that'll have have holes in it. It's actually lighted, so we can play in the in the night or in the in the evenings, um, so people can come out and enjoy the uh, enjoy the, the view there, and and you know kind of do something either with their families or with their friends and uh, come on out and, you know, have a drink and enjoy the view and, and uh, just experience the gravel pit, as we say. Going to have a, a patio or deck experience, I understand? Yeah, we've got two. Uh, it's kind of cool. The clubhouse is, is coming together, and we've got the patios poured. So there's uh, one that faces the north and one that faces um, to the east, and we're going to have a, a covered covered patio and um, a couple of fire pits out there and that kind of stuff. So it's been fun to... Uh, to kind of build one from the ground up again. We got to do that the legacy back in the early uh, or late nineties, and now we're going to try it over here. Chuck, where exactly is is, uh, is it located? So our address is seventeen three hundred Gull River Road. Um, so it's just uh, it's off the, the Gull Lake Dam Road, uh, just about a quarter mile to the or a half mile to the south. So very very close uh, to to town, and actually our, our our holes are adjacent to the new. Layman holes over at uh, Craigan's Legacy, so didn't uh, didn't move too far from my upbringing. <laughs> no, you didn't, Chuck. It's it's been uh, I think the, this year's been quite an education for you. You've uh, you, you've got to experience a lot of things you haven't in the golf business before. Um, oh, that's t- tell tell us about some of that. You've been doing kind of a little bit of everything there. Yeah, we had a small uh, a small team that. Uh, you know, put in the irrigation uh, pipes and everything like that. And then Raiden Construction, Mike Raiden and his team did a great job of shaping the land and all that. But, yeah, I've become uh, knowledgeable with the uh, irrigation technician, or you know, and, and uh, just putting the sprinkler heads. And, and uh, you know, Scott Hoffman, our designer, has helped us with the, uh, you know, with the growing process and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's, been, uh, it's been great. I've always appreciated the superintendents, but I respect them even more. Matt McKinnon, uh, our longtime superintendent over at the Legacy, um, had always you know, been a hardworking guy and stuff, but I've, uh, I've come to appreciate his effort even, even more by, uh, by doing it the little bit that I've, I've gotten to do it this summer. Boy, with your name atta- attached and 25 years in the golf business here and uh, Scott Hoffman, I think people can really look forward to a great golf experience. And the 13 holes you guys were talking about, if they're if they're great golf cor- golf holes, then people are, you know, if, if you build it, they will come, right, Chuck? <laughs> I hope so. It's going to be, uh, I think this is going to be a fun experience. I mean, par threes are, are um, 
fun for people, I think, because golfers of any ability have the have the chance to to get closer to the pin on that hole, or maybe make a hole in one. You know, it's just it's something that I hope can bring families and friends together, and people that are on vacation will stop by maybe once a year and and give it a shot. But uh, looking forward to to getting people out there, and we've got continuous cart paths all the way around the golf course now and stuff, so people can stop out and and check out the site. It's, it's uh, you know we're open to uh, to, to showing people around. All right, and there's That's a website great. people can go find, I'm sure, Chuck. Yeah, gravelpitgolf.com. It's, uh, it's up and running, and, and we'd love to, love to have people out there. But uh, it's always great to talk to you guys, and I appreciate you helping spread the word about the gravel pit. I can't, I can't wait to get out and see the progress, Chuck. It's growing, uh, it's growing in nicely, and now the next, uh, the next month or so looks like uh, the prime growing season for, uh, for growing grass. So we're, uh, we're fed to have the temperatures drop just a little bit, and uh, maybe even get some rain in Brainerd. What? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Chuck, thanks for taking the time. We sure do appreciate it, and we're going to constantly be in your ear. We hope you'll come back with us. Absolutely, guys. Great talking with you. That's Chuck Kletkatsky, uh not only uh, head golf pro, but uh, uh, all kinds of hats he's wearing out at uh, Gravel Pit, gravelpitgolf.com. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you. 1380 KLIZ The Fan. Find us on Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons. Also on Podcast One, a great landing spot for Minnesota podcasts. You can find us there as well at Lakes, Woods, and Irons, sponsored in part by the Holiday Stores of Mill Avenue and Cross Lake. Stop by the Holiday Stores before or after your round and get refreshed, fuel up the vehicle, etc. We now go to Chris's interview with David Angelotti from Sea Island. He's going to give us some putting tips. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. want to welcome to the show David Angelotti. David is the senior putting instructor at the Sea Island Performance Center in Sea Island, Georgia. Welcome to the show, David. Hey, thanks for having me. I've... Uh... Yeah, I've heard so many great things from you uh, f- about you from my son Joe, and I. Uh, the times I've been down there, or since you've been there, I've just missed you. But uh, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge today. Happy to be here, David. Tell us, a, tell us a little bit about your background, and uh, you know there aren't a lot of guys that teach putting exclusively. What uh, what inspired you to become uh, teach putting? Um, so I used to work for Jim McLean out in Dallas, Texas. He had a standalone facility there. And halfway through my tenure, um, basically, I took a SWOT analysis of my own teaching. And through that kind of self-assessment, I figured out that I needed to work on short game instruction and specifically putting. And so what ended up happening was I sought out a lot of short game specialists. You know, so for like... Uh, um, James Ridyard for short game, John Graham, you know, Kevin Weeks, Mark Sweeney, and then specifically David Orr for his Flastic Academy. And, you know, um, after doing all that, I really developed a passion for putting and putting instruction. And my putting instruction at Jim McLean started really taking off. And then from there, what ended up happening was I heard about the opportunity at Sea Island and, you know, getting to know David, I got to know Phil through that. And Dr. Rob Neal was associated down in uh, Dallas, Texas, and he knew David Orr and Phil Kenyon as well. So that's how kind of all this took place was, you know, one person knew one and then it kind of spiraled from there. 
Yeah, the, the, the golf world is pretty small, and once you develop a nice circle of uh, connections, it's, uh, it takes you a lot of places. The, uh, you know, I, th I find it interesting, the, and I, I do a lot of putting instruction as well, but I, 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 th I find it interesting that you can, that you'll have players that are very technically minded and, and really work on their full swings and have a good understanding of the cause and effect of the full swing. But when it comes to putting, they, they don't spend much time, um, delving into the stroke mechanics and and why or why they don't putt well what why do you think that is david um i think there's two reasons one is going to be more from the um, mythos that putting is easy mm -hmm. um so they feel like they don't need to spend as much time on it and then two is there's a lack of understanding um, in kind of the, the golfing world of what it takes to be a great putter. Um, so I think those two things drastically um, reduce that player's chances from, you know, wanting to work on, uh, on getting better. And then some of it also is uh, they don't just don't know how to practice. Sure. You know, they're like, oh, I, you know, I go out to the green, I hit a few putts before – I, I go play and I'm more of a field putter. Right. Right. But, but then as soon as you kind of explain, okay, well your bias is to aim right. And then you pull putts and this is why you pull putts. Then they go, Oh, I always feel that. I just never knew how to change it. Yeah. Right. And so I think it comes from lack of understanding, you know, the overall like golfing world saying putting instruction is easy. And then, um, also just lack of understanding how to practice. You know, putting—it's—it's the—it's the one area where, you know, the average player can be, you know, reach a level that's similar to the elite player. Um, what what do you what are you mentioned the the things that be, it takes to be a great putter? What what are those characteristics of a great putter? Well, I mean, putting ultimately breaks down to you know three keys. You have to be able to start the ball online. You have to be able to read a green and have some form of break prediction. And then you have to be able to match speed, right? And you could chuck aim in there too, mm -hmm. right? In in start line is kind of a subcategory or, or a fourth thing. But, you know, everything else is um, broken down into those characteristics. So, you know, I, I think great putters, you know, what they tend to do is they tend to not miss inside of five feet, mm -hmm. right? And then great putters also practice their perception of aim a lot. They also practice their start line and their ability to start the ball online a lot. And then from there, it depends on the player themselves, but they always have some kind of performance aspect where they have to match their speed and rate, right? Yeah. And so, you know, their practice breaks down to those four categories, right? And if you go out on the PGA Tour and you look at any event, you're seeing guys week in and week out finding straight putts, right, uphill or downhill, right, setting chalk lines, setting training aids, you know, doing their drill set to get better. 
and they do it every single week. And I think that's where the amateur could really improve is it's not just about throwing three balls down and hitting putts and then trying to get the speed five minutes before you're going to play. You know, to get better, you have to set some time aside, just like you warm up in your full swing, you got to do the same thing in your putting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, th- speaking of, of practice, what, what what is a good practice routine for somebody? If the average player wants to get better, uh, what would be a good practice routine for them? Uh, well, of course, it depends on how much t- time you have. But let's, let's say you have um, you know, 30 minutes, right? So 30 minutes before you're going to go play, what I would do is I would go to the green, Right, and I would find the most uphill putt I could. Right, so to any hole or to any point on the green, you could just use a tee if you wanted to putt to a tee. Um, but if you find the most uphill putt, that's generally going to be fairly close to rolling true and rolling straight. So finding that is going to be a really good place for you to practice your aim and then practice your start line. Um, you know, two really good drills that I see really good players always kind of come into the studio with is tiger's tee gate drill Mm -hmm. where you put two tees outside the putter head so you work on your path and work on your impact location and then a ball gate right so like um phil kenyon has his visio putting gates that i use almost every lesson where you're starting the ball online seeing the ball travel through and down your line so if you did that for about five, ten minutes max, that'd be a really good place to warm up your stroke. Then from there, what you would want to do is, you know, five to ten minutes on shallow breaking putts. So you do the same kind of thing, but work on a right to left and a left to right putt, making sure that you're starting the ball online. And then from there, um, depending on how much time you have, you would do a little bit of speed work to try to get used to the speed and the stimp of the greens before you go play. So that would be uphill, downhill putts, like ladder drills are really Mm -hmm. good, where you do 10, 20, 30, 10, 20, 30 to try to get yourself calibrated to, you know, okay, well, if I have a nine stimp, it's more like an 11 downhill. If I have a nine stimp, it's more like a seven uphill. And then trying to feel, well, what's my pace length of stroke timing and stuff like that sure that's great and how how about it you know if somebody has what are some good distance control drills you know because i when i'm working with you know with with the average player kind of like you said i i always talk about five five feet is where you have to make the majority of your inside of five feet you have to make the majority of your putts uh as you move you know from 12 15 feet and beyond really most of those putts are even though you will make a percentage of those they're more they become more leg putts or we're trying to get them close enough so speed is the critical part there and what are what are some distance control or speed drills that you like to use with your players um well one thing I, I love to do is not really a distance control drill, but it is a speed drill. Is you know the hurricane or tornado or spiral drill, right? So that one forces you to change the length of the stroke, right, relative to the angle. So then you're hitting a different length putt and a different angle putt each each time, right? So that one forces you to get um, more. Uh, to find your read and match that speed to that read. 
Um, distance control wise, right? As I mentioned earlier, a ladder drill is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, that Ex- one, expl- where you go. If you, if, on the hurricane drill, could you explain mm-hmm. how you set that up? Yeah, so basically what I do is I'll pick a random angle to the slope. So I generally stay away from the straight putt um, on that that first first one. And I'll say, okay, I want to do a right to left putt. And I will put a T three foot from the center of the cup. And then I'll change the angle, right, about mm-hmm. a foot or two to the right or left. And then I'll go four feet. And then change the angle. Um, and so if I went to the right, I would continue to go to the right and create until I get to the point where I create almost like a hurricane or a spiral type look around the hole. Sure. And so that'll be three, four, five, six. And then I'll, depending on the, the player ability, will depend how many tees that I put out there. Sure. Better players, I'll tend to, you know, go all the way up to 10 feet. Um, you know, average, average players will tend to go, you know, more in the, um, you know, six foot range. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great drill because, you know, that typically if I see somebody on the putting green they're they're hitting multiple balls from the same spot mm-hmm. and that really doesn't teach you anything other than you you learn to hit a good putt from that spot it's uh i ask people if they're practicing or they're exercising and that's more exercising than practice yeah that's a great drill yeah and then the ladder drill is a really good one it's it's super simple it like it resonates with players um and as long as you're changing the uphill downhill characteristic to that um, I think it's good. So instead of like just doing it um, all downhill, right, where you go 10, 20, 30, 40, and you hit hit all of those downhill and try to match that, right, going and, you know, saying, okay, I'm going to go 10 foot on the uphill, and then I'm going to go 20 foot on the downhill, and then I'm going to go 30 foot on the uphill, and then 40 foot on the downhill, and then I'll go 10 foot on the down 20 foot on the up right and as long as you're changing kind of that angle or changing the up and down you get a really good sense for the speed of the greens so that's that's like a good performance aspect but you know i've seen lots of great players that just do 10 20 30 40 up and then 10 20 30 40 down and try to get themselves to stop the ball within a deviation of um, that hole and so, you know, most of the time what players do is they'll put an alignment stick about three feet behind and say, okay, I got to get that ball to stop within the hole in that alignment stick. Um, what I'll do with it sometimes is I'll use um, the E-ring golf or e-golf ring. I, I can't remember what it's called exactly, where it's that little wire ring. Yes. And, and so I use that wire ring, and I'll do 10% of the putt distance. So when they're hitting the 10 the 10 footer I'll use the smallest ring and I'll have a one foot deviation and so then I'm giving that player that that visual of what good distance control looks like at 10 feet and then 20 I'll use a two foot circle 30 I'll use a three foot circle and that way the player is not so worried about trying to hold the putt they're more worried about getting the speed to be within that deviation yeah that's a great drill David, you know, the, almost everybody gets fit today for, for driver and irons, uh, it seems like. But very few people uh, get fit for a putter. They walk in the golf shop and, 
uh, you know, the, they'll pick up a few putters and maybe hit a few putts, and that, that that's that's going to be their new gamer. Uh, tell us about the fitting process and the importance of, of uh, putter fitting. Uh, how long do you have? Um, <laughs> So, basically, you know, it, it depends on what you want to get fit for, right? So, you can fit a different putter for a lot of different characteristics, right? You can fit a putter for aim. You can fit a putter for face change. You can fit a putter for stroke. You can fit a putter for the amount of rotation it has. You can fit a putter for torque. I mean, the list goes on and on. So, you know, when I'm doing a putter fitting, I'm trying to improve a player's bias, right? I'm trying to improve their aiming bias. So let's say a, a player walks in and they're aiming about two degrees to the right. Well, the natural tendency then would be for that player to try to pull that you know, back two degrees to the left to, to hold that putt. So when I have that player in the studio I, and I'm looking at the putter and to make a change there, I'm trying to improve those two, those two factors first and foremost. So with that, that type of player, we'd have to look at their individual aiming bias, right? So what is causing the aim? Is the aim to the right because of a visual, um, perceptual bias is it to the right because the body alignment is it right because they pull they pull the putt it could be a combo of all three sometimes it just kind of depends and so once i've established kind of where the right aim comes from not necessarily fixing it first but just establishing where where it's coming from then diving into well where is the the pull coming from is it from the putter itself being you know a sledgehammer too heavy is it from you know a poor acceleration pattern? Is it from stroke tendencies? Is it from a rotational bias? So kind of finding, finding out those pieces first. And then once I have that information, then going and diving a little bit deeper into changing the putter relative to those things. So an example of a, a pull bias putter, well, what I might do is go to a putter that has a little bit more toe hang relief. And so that toe hang relief generally slow, uh, slows the closing down but increases the rotation rate. Um, and so that might slow that, that closing down a little bit. And then, you know, changing from a massive mallet to a blade, then generally what that does is that smaller line and more squared off look will um, cause the player to aim more left. So, like, that would be an example of something that I might do. But then what we're really looking for is loft line length, right? Making mm -hmm. sure that those those three factors are taken care of by the time that they walk, walk out, of, um, out of that lesson. So, you know, for me, those are the kind of the characteristics that I'm looking at and trying to match. Because what you don't want is you don't want the putter to hinder the player. You want the putter to help the player some players allow the putter to affect them other players don't so it's it's just about um matching up those players feels for what they want to see what they like looking at i mean there's there's so many different things that go involved into it yeah that's that's really fascinating you, you have an opportunity to see and, and work with a lot of tour players at sea island and what what are you know what do you see um, how do they practice differently than, than amateurs? And um, what are some of the things that separate them and make them such good putters? 
Yeah, so all the guys here at Sea Island, like, you know, we have Hudson Swafford, Harris English, um, Keith Mitchell, um, JT Poston, and, and so on. And those guys, they, they all have their drill set that they do. So when they walk onto a green, most of them, if not all of them, are, are finding that very straight putt whether it be up or downhill right most of them have kind of a perfect putter that they are you know rolling the ball to find where that ball is rolling straight um, some of them will set chalk lines down others will use visio products um, others will you know do three ball sets you know um, so it just kind of de- depends on the player but I was actually having this conversation um, with an amateur today that, you know, when they go to a green, you know, they just drop three balls, hit three balls, go to another one, hit three balls, and then say, hey, you know, okay, that's good. I got the speed down and I'm going to play. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, a tour player, they're they're sticking around, you know, five or six feet, finding that straight, starting the ball online, setting chalk lines up, setting ball gates, setting tee gates, right, seeing the ball, matching their perception of aim, and then moving into breaking putts, and they're sticking around that that five to six feet again. And then depending on on the player, someone might do you know uphill right to left, downhill left to right, um, and then work around the hole that way. And then others might go from their straight putt. They're seeing the the ball go online. They're seeing it start online, and then they'll move right into a performance drill like like the spiral or you know around the world or something like that. So it all varies, but it all comes back to those four things that, that I spoke on earlier. They're all matching their perception of aim. They're all starting the ball online, right? They're all matching speed, right? And they're all building um, reading tendencies, right? And so most of them, I would say, practice for, on average, 45 minutes, mm-hmm. right? Um, on their putting, and then they'll go work on on something else. Some players will work a little bit more. Some players will work a little bit less. Just depends on how hot it is that day, and you know where where they're going to be pra- uh, practicing and playing next week. Sure. Well, David, that that's great stuff. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your knowledge. If if people want to learn more about you and Sea uh, Island, how do they do that? Uh, well, SeaIsland.com, right? That is kind of where you can find any information um, on Sea Island itself. And then, you know, I have a couple of social media pages. So, you know, mine uh, Instagram is David Angelotti Putting, right? I believe my uh, Twitter handle is Angelotti Golf, um, but those are the two that I, I primarily post to post to the most relative. Well, awesome. Well, I'll, uh, David, I'll look forward to seeing you on my next trip to Sea Island, and uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, hopefully we can actually get together and maybe play some golf. That sounds like a great plan. So hope to be down there in the next couple months. So Sounds great. Thanks, David. That was David Angelotti with the Sea Island Performance Center. That was Chris's conversation with David Angelotti at Sea Island. Hopefully you picked up a few putting tips. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you. 1380 KLIZ, the fan, and uh, on Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons as well, and Podcast One as well. 
This segment brought to you in part by Ernie's, uh, the On Point Burger Company, a great addition to Ernie's, locally owned and globally loved, and also Emily Green's, home to the largest green in the universe, where it's all about fun, emilygreens.com. Chris, uh, we've been talking about uh, how to improve games lately, and uh, I was thinking uh, a, a couple of uh, things as I watched over the weekend. I was watching a professional tournament, and they were um, hitting uh, one tournament. They were uh, kind of had a significant uphill, and they were saying, you know, at least 10 yards further is what the uh, the uh, announcers were talking about. Then you got wind conditions in there. Then you got uh, we've had such a hot summer that uh, that makes a difference. And also how far you think you hit your iron. So those are all kind of come into play with the uh, with the iron game. Yeah, absolutely. That uh, you know, and some some people focus on some of those factors more than others do. But uh, you know, interesting, Mac. I, I I've had a couple situations this this week on the lesson tee where uh, that really rang out, and I I had a plane lesson with a um, gentleman the other day, and. Uh, Typically, when when we go out on the golf course, we're, we're as much as anything we want to see where where their game is at. Uh, you know, if it's somebody that I've been working with on an ongoing basis, uh, want to see you know kind of how they approach play on the golf course, what their strengths and weaknesses are, because they on the lesson tee people that really don't always know that. And then a lot a lot of it is we're working on course strategy and management, and um, in this playing lesson, it, it, it came out so true what we've talked about the last couple of weeks and knowing your distances and, um, you know, knowing your distances with your approach shots and, and your average distances with your irons rather than your best shots. And um, the, the gentleman I, I, I worked with, you know, he, he, he only hit, uh, I think, in nine holes. He only hit one green. And he hit, you know, let's say of the other eight holes, he really hit into of those other eight holes. He hit six really solid approach shots, uh, but they all came up short of the green, and anywhere from a club to a couple clubs short. And really, what it came down to is he he, he really doesn't have a realistic expectation or, or knowledge of how far he far he hits his irons. And you know, when I when I'd ask him, you know, after the shot, what is uh, what club he hit, what's his average distance on that shot, and then we then we kind of measure it. You know, he was he was a club to two clubs short uh, on all those shots, even though he hit him hit him really well. So, just by having a better understanding of his distances, uh, you know, he's he's going to dramatically improve his scores. And then in our our uh, what we call our high performance program, which is for high school players this week we were doing some wedge testing and well the the test we took the kids through is we'd have them hit 10 full uh either pitching wedge or sand wedge shots and which for for a lot of these kids they get a number of those shots around where their their approach head into a hole is 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 sand wedge or pitching wedge and uh so we had them hit 10 shots each on track man and then they they had to tell us what the average distance of those were. And, you know, a, a perfect example, one, one young man with his sand wedge, he said his average distance was 100 yards. Well, it turns out his average distance was 85 yards. His very best one was 98 yards, so he was two, short, two yards short of that 
what he thought his average was. So his, his high was 98, his his low was 78. So we th- we throw out any outliers. So his average of those shots was 85. So significant difference in approach play. If you think your average is 100, but your average is 85, um, you know it, it's the difference between hitting it on the green, hitting it in a hazard or over a hazard, and hitting it on the right part of the green. So uh, just by you know, not by by not changing your swing, not doing anything differently, just having a a, a better understanding of those distances, your strong, your scoring can improve dramatically. Yeah, I think I've had um, multiple times this year for for whatever reason, people have said, to, I'll say, I play with some pretty good sticks, and they'll say, yeah, I've been hitting one club more, and uh, and it seems to help most guys. It seems uh, so. I think like we've talked about, it's a common a common error thinking you hit it farther than you hit it. Yeah, for sure. And you know, if if, if you could, if you can just focus on hitting the, the fat side of the green in the middle of the green. And unless you've got a, you know, a short, very short club in your hand where you've got, uh, you know, plenty of, of green to work with, if you can just focus on hitting at the fat part of the green, uh, you're going to score way better. Yeah. It's a, sometimes it's so hard to take the macho out of any sport, you know. Some, <laughs> no doubt. Somebody you're playing no with can hit a nine iron 145 yards, and you can hit it 120, but you hit it anyway, just thinking, I can hit it 145. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but you can't. Not well, anyway. You can hit That's low right. liners 100, over 145, Chris. I've done right, that right. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Mac. <laughs> That's Chris Foley. I'm Colin McDonald. I want to thank uh, David Angelotti and Chuck Kletkatsky, our guests this week. You've been listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ.